Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author Becca Eisenberg brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 60. Today, I'll be interviewing Lori Ann Copeland, the author of the picture book, Hunter and the Amazing Remote Control, published by Youth Light Incorporated. Lori is a licensed professional counselor and registered play therapist who has lived in Abilene, Texas for 26 years. She recently completed the requirements to be a national board certified health and wellness coach. Lori owns her own private practice, Resilience Integrative Counseling, where she offers individual counseling, health coaching, play therapy, and sand tray therapy. For more information, visit her website at www.resilienceic.com. Um, I'm also going to be having a link in the description as well, my website. Um, so thank you so much for being here today, Lori. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited for you to talk about, well, just, you know, not only your book, but about your practice, but I actually, just to give a little bit of a story, just to my readers about how I learned about the book, I, um, studying to get my certificate in assistive technology and I saw a short video and it was all about Lori's book, Hunter and the Amazing Remote Control. And I, just immediately purchased it because I just thought it was fantastic. Um, and Lori will explain a little bit about the book, but it's it's a wonderful book and it's timeless, I think. So Lori, can you just tell me a little bit about the process in writing and publishing Hunter and the Amazing Remote Control? Oh, well, uh, actually, I'll, I'll try to keep it short, but, um, you know, I have a long history here because I finished my master's degree in 1984 and then for uh, a while just worked with adults. But then in 1994, uh, I changed positions and I started seeing a lot of children and uh, I was getting some training at the time, you know, some colleagues that were helping me and I was doing a lot of my own research, but I I suddenly, uh, between 94 and 95, I had so many child clients coming in with these ADHD characteristics, and I had no clue how to help them. So I started reading, and back in the 90s, there just wasn't a lot of stuff out there, you know? And, you know, everybody was kind of lumping all of these kids into one category that now, you know, we really break down and, uh, and we even use the term self-regulation more than just ADHD. So, um, I actually got the idea of using a remote control as this external cue to work with these kids who needed to develop some self-regulation skills. And, uh, honestly, it was so long ago. I don't remember the specific details of the kids that, you know, I started kind of using this concept with, but then, um, shortly after that, uh, you know, 
it just evolved. It evolved into this thing that I started doing with kids where we would make these remote controls and we'd practice and counseling. And then uh, they would, you know, even maybe sometimes get permission to bring it to school and use it in, in their uh, classroom. Then um, a school counselor friend of mine, uh, she learned about what I was doing and um, she actually said, hey, I wish you would come and do this group. I have these, I just have these second and third grade kids that are struggling and I would, I think they would really benefit from this. And I thought, wow, a group setting, that would be fun. And so I started working with these kids uh, in this after school group. I remember the very first week uh, I brought a snack because it was after school and I brought these six packs of crackers. And, um, you know, those little packages with the six cheese crackers. Oh, well, yeah. So I know those. <laughs> I know. And I gave each of these kids one of these packages of crackers with the expectation that they'll just open them up and eat them. But I watched as one by one, these kids opened these packages. They took the crackers apart, scraped out that cheesy substance inside, and in a few minutes, they had a stack of crackers and a cheesy substance ball. And that's when it first occurred to me that there's something unique happening in these kids' brains that's really special. And there was one kid in particular in this group who ultimately was the prototype for the hunter in the book that I wrote. Now, of course, his name wasn't Hunter. I wouldn't have used his name. But the, it was like I began to realize that when the typical brain of a child is thinking, what am I supposed to do with this? This kid's brain went in the direction of, what else can I do with this? And so it was that group that really expanded, you know, the way that I saw these kids experience uh, in the way they see the world and the way they experience the world and also very much in the, the experience that they have in the classroom. And so... At the time, uh, and this was a wonderful group where I could really pilot a lot of my ideas, but then I started just really wanting to do something bigger because I realized that these kids were really socially isolated in the classroom. They were the ones who were oftentimes sitting back by themselves in the corner at their own little desk. These were the kids that left the classroom to go line up and get their medication. These were the kids who oftentimes that teacher said their name over and over all day in the classroom. And why? Because those kids didn't acknowledge and hear and their brain didn't recognize their name was being called until the teacher said their name six times. 
And it took that long for them to acknowledge the teacher. And so over the years, I've worked with teachers and, you know, to to not do that and to recognize how often they do that. And then, you know, to actually, instead of saying a kid's name over and over, if they can walk over and touch the child on the shoulder, because what happens is, is the other kids in the class hear those kids' names all day long. Now, at the same time then, my daughter was in fourth grade, and her teacher happened to be a teacher who was remarkable at working with these kids with the self-regulation difficulties. And she had four of these kids in the class in all four corners. And I mean, my daughter, you know, she talked about these kids. And uh, so... What I did was um, I approached her teacher and I asked if I could pilot a classroom program. And actually, I had already written the Hunter book at this point where Hunter is a kid who comes up with this idea of creating remote control that works on his brain. And then the book goes through the different buttons. And so uh, this fourth grade teacher was so excited that I was going to come in every week and we would do a different button. And she did the program exactly the way I envisioned a teacher using the curriculum. And uh, she had a remote control taped on every student's desk, just like a card stock remote control with the buttons. And it was taped on every student's desk in the classroom. Because I had kids at this time, so I knew that every child benefits from the strategies that essentially are in the Hunter book. It, it's just that these the kids that are a little delayed with their self-regulation just need those things more. And so my dream was to have an intervention where these kids that need it the most aren't isolated. They're, they're experiencing it as everybody needs this. And so uh, I just absolutely loved that experience of doing it in the classroom. So then I reworked the book into something that was a little more formal and did an activity guide to go with it. And then at the, the next step was that I presented it at a Texas Counseling Association conference. And then eventually I got connected up with a publishing company that publishes a lot of resources for um, school counselors and, um, and also other professional counselors in the clinical setting. And uh, that was Youth Light. And they took it and absolutely ran with it. Because right about this time, I started my PhD, and I wouldn't have had time to do anything else with this book. But in the process of doing my PhD, I focused on ADHD. It was a PhD in child development, and ultimately, four years later, did my dissertation on ADHD. So it's just become an area that I feel really passionate about. And then finally, in 2015, after the book and uh, the um, the Hunter book and uh, the curriculum, the activity guide uh, had been revised a few times over the years between 1998 when it was first published and 
2015, uh, they called me in uh, 2014 and said, hey, we'd like to completely rework this book. It's very popular. It's been incredibly popular, one of our most popular resources. And we want to just completely redo it. We want to get a, a professional illustrator because I had illustrated the first one and it was terrible. <laughs> and, um, and so they got a professional illustrator and um, I think he just really uh, made the whole thing come to life. Uh, and um, let's see, let me see his, I can't remember his name now, Brian, Brian Dumb. And so then I rewrote the whole, I rewrote it and really updated it because obviously technology changed a lot over the years and then uh, extended the activity guide and made it about four or five times as long with a, a lot of extra things that teachers could do in a classroom, school counselors could do, and then also uh, individual counselors and even parents. So, uh, the the book and activity guide have um, have been different since 2015, but I know that was a lot of a lot of information. But it just tells you this history that um, you know I can't believe that back in 1996, you know, I wrote a book about technology that's still relevant in 2020. Oh it's, well, it's amazing. That's the thing is that there's always going to be remote controls, whether it's even on your phone. There's always going to be a stop and a fast forward and a rewind because on any video, every every child knows that. Anyway, exactly. so what I what I like to well, just one thing I want to talk about was that I like that how you emphasize that everybody had a remote control on their desk mm-hmm. because I think that what happens over time what you were saying with a teacher constantly saying like, you know, certain kids' names over and over, what happens to, with the other kids is that they view those children who need constant redirection as being like, quote unquote, like bad kids, you know? Exactly. And I think that those, those kids like internalize that, that they're sort of like, quote unquote, bad. And mm-hmm. I think that's an issue that has, I think has history. You know, I don't think that's Absolutely. something that, um, you know, changes over time. I think that, you know, a lot of teachers don't have the training. Um, like you said, like with the teacher that you were working with mm-hmm. and what I liked about the remote control is that it's a visual cue, um, mm-hmm. that it's a visual cue for the kids to look at without, you know, one of the things I do just as a speech pathologist is that, you know, when I do a lot of training with teachers and, and therapists is that we have to sometimes like hold back our verbal, um, and be able to use more visuals. So, um, you know, the remote control, I think is just another great visual. So we don't have to be constantly like saying the person's name over and over again. Um, and I just love the fact that everyone had a remote control because everybody, you know, needs reminders sometimes. And that if we had the remote controls just on the kids that needed the remote controls, I think it's just singling them out, making them seem sort of different. And I think that, you know, we don't ever want to, you know, just in a classroom that we want to emphasize that the remote control is for the entire class, that it's not just for like that one kid. It's like, oh, let's just sing out the one kid. Here's your remote control. Right. <laughs> that we want to emphasize that it's for everybody um, and that we all need help sometimes in learning to pause, 
or, and I, one of the things I also want to, want to talk about too, because for anybody who doesn't have the book in front of them is that I love how there are certain words just like emphasize and they pop out on the page. Um, like, you know, like rewind and the shoulds and Mm -hmm. there are certain words in, you know, in bold and different color. Um, and it's also a book that could be constantly read over and over again, or like you said, week by week going over each button. Um, and so I think we all need sometimes, like, I mean, I think I could even use my own remote control sometimes to like pause, you know, mm-hmm. um, or like rewind and fast forward. Like, I, I just think that there's so many different ways and it's, you know, it's especially, I think helpful for kids with ADHD, but I also think it's helpful for any, any tip, you know, any child. Um, because I think it's a great way sometimes, I don't know, I feel like I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but especially during, um, this pandemic with remote learning and hybrid and, you know, so many various factors coming about for the fall, um, just wearing masks, um, and, you know, just having to social distance. I I think that it's going to be especially difficult for kids with ADHD to attend because now it's, there's so many other various factors. So I think having like this remote control on a child's desk, I think like for the class, I think would be also great because I, I think, you know, when a teacher is wearing a mask, sometimes it's going to be hard to hear. Um, and so I think that visual cue is going to be like really, really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. So the next question, I just wanted to talk about how the, the fact that I love how your book emphasizes that a child could have control over their actions Um, And I think that increases empowerment and confidence. And so one of the things that, I mean, we talked about a teacher, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about any tips for parents and carrying over the book for, you know, every day. Absolutely. Well, um, I think really what two, two core things about the book that I think, um, are my favorite features. One is, is that Hunter is not a kid with problems, and you will not see the word ADHD anywhere in the book. Hunter is a kid that has this unique special brain, uh, and you know, and yet sometimes there are things that are a little harder for him because of his unique special brain. And so I think the emphasis on, you know, uniqueness and um, self-acceptance is incredibly important. And that's what I was, you know, really hoping the book would emphasize. And, you know, an example in, you know, in actually it was maybe like my third revision back, you know, 15 years ago, whatever, I added this, um, this part uh, where um, Hunter uh, has this drink that gets shaken up and then the lid comes off and it sprays all over. And then, you know, his mother kind of, of encourages him and uh, says, okay, Hunter, there are different kinds of people, just like there are different kinds of drink. You know, there's tea, you know, and there's punch, and then there's fizzy drinks like you had, and it was called Fazola Cola. It's called Fazola Cola in the book, obviously not a brand, but, um, you know, she says that's really, you know, because kids like fizzy drinks, right? Most of them, yeah. I guess. And yeah. so if the idea is, is that if you're a fizzy drink kind of kid, you have to notice when you've been shaken up, 
you know, at, at those points when you're starting to get excited and, you know, and that's a particular feature with ADHD where sometimes these kids have meltdowns at the end of their birthday parties or Christmas because they're little bodies and brains can only handle so much excitement and then they they need that downtime. And so uh, what I tried to do is incorporate a concept like that. um, And that came out of, again, working with kids. I had been using that whole concept of you're a fizzy drink (laughs) with kids and we take drinks and shake them up and go outside and spew them all over the place and then practice using our slow motion buttons to calm the button bubbles down. So, you know, that to me is an important one is just helping kids see themselves as unique. But because of their uniqueness, there are certain things like all of us that we have to work a little harder on. And then the second one would be the concept of internal locus of control. The idea that I I cannot choose what happens to me. I can't choose what other people do and say. And most of the time, I don't even get to choose what I'm going to do in the moment. But I can always choose how I respond to it. And so the concept of the remote control then is the idea that we have different channels and those different channels are our responses to things. And we're the ones who choose the channel we're on. So that, you know, if your child comes home and somebody said, you know, to them at school, you're stupid, and they got mad and maybe even did something and got in trouble, you know, you can reinforce the idea, well, did this kid have a remote control that controlled the way you see yourself? Did you give him your remote control to use? Because maybe he wanted you to feel bad about yourself. And it worked. So you gave away your remote control. And that concept is concrete enough that even younger kids can get their minds around it, even though the general concept of internal locus of control is is more abstract. And so those would be the two things I would say that, you know, other than just whatever buttons the kid might, you know, benefit the most from, I would say those are two concepts that parents could, could use to increase that empowerment and confidence. Yeah, I think that's great. I love what you, because I think sometimes we have to be careful about the vocabulary we use. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes as adults, we think kids like understand every vocabulary word, you know, Mm -hmm. like you need to have better self-regulation. It's like some kids (laughs) are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, And some adults may not understand. Actually, a lot of adults don't understand it either. Um, but, but But relating it to remote control, I just think is so clear and genius. I mean, I really do. I think it's so genius because, you know, since reading your book, I've been using it just a lot, you know, as a parent. And I find that it's so helpful in in so many different ways. I mean, even if one of those things that I like too, that I want to note is that we have the ability to rewind, that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is one thing I always like emphasize with my kids that, you know, we learn by making mistakes. But if we, let's say like, let's say if you get impulsive and you, and you do something, you make a mistake, um, we could look and we could rewind for a second and think about, you know, maybe what we could have done differently. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel like kids really understand so much 
better with the concept of the remote control. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, just to kind of bring it up to sort of current, because I know everybody, every school situation is in a different you know, a, a different program. Like some kids are all hybrid. Um, some kids are in person for school. Some kids are all remote. Um, and that just depends on where you are in the country. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, just tips for parents in, in possibly, you know, using this book at home, you know, just for virtual learning. Um, and also for any teachers or educators, you know, kind of listening right now, and maybe how to presenting the lesson virtually. Um, I think that would be helpful. So I was wondering if you could talk about that for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, well, well, first of all, uh, you know, a couple things that I think are relevant related to, uh, you know, first of all, just the pandemic in general is, is that I think that we started out back in, you know, March with this, um, kind of liminal space approach to the pandemic, that we're in this kind of holding in-between period in our life when, you know, we're waiting for things to get normal again. And now, you know, we've had to move out of that because you cannot stay in that mode for very long. Um, and so I think the spring was hard because I think there was this sense that, you know, kids were, uh, you know, you know, in this, in this kind of school that just wasn't right. You know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so I think, you know, one of the things and another area that is incredibly important to me is resilience. Um, and, of course, a lot of my research and stuff on resilience has certainly paired well with ADHD stuff. So, um, you know, how can parents send kids the, the, the message that what's happening right now is an opportunity? And what is our opportunity? What skills can we develop? What new experience can we have in our life that's different than the way it usually happens? And then, you know, if we send our kids that message that this is good for us, because every new challenge, every new thing that comes up has an opportunity built into it. And so focusing on that opportunity is absolutely the resilience perspective. Whereas if parents are like, well, I know this is hard, but that, you know, it'll, you know, will everything will be back to normal before long. Don't worry about it, you know. And I don't know. I think that that particularly with ADHD kids, you know, that gives them an unsettled feeling and makes it harder to focus on now as being this real point in time that's supposed to be exactly like this because this is the time in history it is. And so I would say just the resilience perspective is 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 really important. And then the second thing um, to me is just in general, uh, a lot of the kids that I've worked with who had the, the school experience of, you know, just being at home on their computers with, you know, getting assignments done and those kinds of things, those kids were completely overwhelmed because their usual day is broken up into these segments 
a kid and, you know, let's talk about the kids struggling with ADHD. They don't necessarily start their day thinking about, here's all the things I'm going to have to do today. Mm. They just focus on what's next because their day has been structured at school in that way. It's time for math. And then we're going to go to recess and then we're going to go to lunch and then we're going to go to library and then we're going to go to PE. So, uh, They have this day that's got this structure to it. And then I think a lot of the teachers were just scrambling to make sure kids had the learning uh, opportunities they needed. And so, you know, they provided all these assignments and then the kids essentially just got them done on their own time. Well, a child with ADHD, you know that they're overwhelmed anyway, you know, when, when, teachers are doing a good job with these kids, they usually are breaking those kids' tasks down a little bit more. If all the other kids are given 20 math problems to do, the kids that struggle with ADHD are given five at a time because if they're given 20, they just shut down. They're overwhelmed because they have that difficulty with sequencing and organization and the ability to to you know, to process that information in a way where they would see it uh, as one at a time and not just everything at once. So I guess anything a parent can do to structure that day in a more normal school-like way, you know, okay, we're going to work on math until this time or when the timer goes off, and then we're going to do the next thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I even found as a parent when I wrote, because I had a big whiteboard, when I would write everything down on the board, it was like, I think I was starting to get anxious just writing it on the board. Yeah. I'm seeing all these assignments. But what I wound up doing was like just breaking it down and just saying, okay, from this time to this time for this half an hour, you're going to work on this subject and this is your assignment. And then from this time and that time, you're going to do this assignment. And then when you're done with that, let me know and we'll look at what's, what's next. So now I really, I really appreciate what you're saying because I think it's really true. I think it's could be very overwhelming to see all those assignments at one time. And that's what would happen Mm -hmm. um, with, with us and our, in my experience with my daughter, because that, that was overwhelming. So, I mean, helping to break down those assignments, I think is, is really helpful in understanding the challenge behind it. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and I also think just kind of going into the do it yourself remote control kits, I think that's, um, I don't know. I feel like it could be very helpful with remote learning as well, because you could even have, let's just say if a child does get overwhelmed with the amount of work, maybe just taking a pause Mm -hmm. and just, and slowing it down and trying to figure out how do I make this a little bit more doable, Mm-hmm. Um, or how do I help myself? So those do-it-yourself remote control kits, could you just um, tell me exactly where to find them? Like what website that you would look at to, to access that? Well, honestly, I I wasn't quite sure. I, I'm not quite sure what, if there's someplace there, I, I'm not sure where that is. That might be out there and I just, I don't, I'm not aware of it. Um, I mean, the general concept is that, you know, anyone can use this idea, you know, that you can, um, you know, make unique buttons 
on a remote control. You can use uh, actually the craft store that I go to and I bought I bought a bunch of these so cheap on sale to use with clients. They have these little wooden thin pieces that are already there, you know, and so that you can just buy. But, um, you know, I've used um, that foam board. You know, you can use anything for the remote control and then, you know, create the buttons that work for you, um, you know. Uh, years and years ago, I remember, you know, a kid that, and of course, this is definitely one of those ADHD concepts, uh, the self-regulation things is they have difficulty getting started on something. You know, it's like, it's just, you know, lighting, you know, parents talk about lighting that fire underneath them, you know? And so, uh, we had a button that was a Nike swoosh because years ago, I don't know if you remember what, 15, 20 years ago, probably 20 years yeah. ago, uh, they had that just do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all the kids had shirts, just do it, just do it, you know, in the commercials. And so it was a very familiar saying for kids that was kind of cool and fun and active. And so we made a, a remote control button that just had a swoosh on it. And so that meant you know, push that button and just do it. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Don't focus on how much you have to do. Just get the first one done. Just start. Just do anything. And of course, that Nike swoosh wouldn't be relevant today because that's, you know, that concept isn't out there everywhere. But parents could use an emoji or the kid could... um, you know, have a start button or, you know, something like that, that, that they could, that they could add to their remote control. The other thing too is, is that kids are not sticklers for metaphors and staying with the metaphor. And I've lately found myself integrating a lot of video game stuff into it where, you know, we have uh, some of the kids I'm working with have a power up button. Because in video games, you know, you access these powers by doing certain things. And so their power up button could be, you know, using that particular power. If, you know, video games are something that they're um, really uh, familiar with, then you can steal a lot of really good stuff from the video game concepts that they can put on their remote controls. And they don't have to stay with the TV metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think that's, but I I like how you emphasize like just doing it yourself because I actually think that it's better not to have a template Mm -hmm. because I I think if kids want to develop their own remote controls, it has to be their own. And I think every child knows what a remote Mm -hmm. control looks like, you know, just from all like the videos and just, you know, whether it's working their TV or or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you don't really, you could use anything. I mean, you could just even use a piece of paper and, you know, make the remote control. And if it, I mean, as a speech pedal, you know, I have a, I have a laminator cause that's a lot of us speech therapists have laminators, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, laminating that, but even just mm-hmm. taking um, like a cardboard box um, absolutely, and cutting off a piece of cardboard and making the remote control like that. And I think that what's kind of cool is that everyone will have their own unique remote control mm-hmm. that it doesn't have to be a certain way or a certain size or a certain template, everyone could just make their own. So, um, and I I think also just for teachers, you know, that's something that 
they could probably assign to do and everyone could even do at home because everyone's going to have, you know, those basic materials, Mm -hmm. whether it's cardboard or markers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to get to my last question about your practice. Um, So maybe you could talk a little bit more about that and any additional resources for parents. Well, um, I, uh, you know, actually in my private practice, I've um, got so, such a wonderful diversity, which is really what I want at this point in my life. I see adults, uh, I see teenagers, older kids, and I have four-year-old clients. And, um, you know, I really enjoy that, uh, that diversity with, you know, different people coming in and out throughout the day. And then I also uh, do supervision. So I'm a licensed professional counselor supervisor and a registered play therapist supervisor. And so I actually have quite a few people that I'm training as counselors, which is another piece of my day. And then uh, I only recently, over the last uh, couple of years, really integrated my um, philosophy that you cannot separate the physical health from the mental health and uh, decided to go ahead and get the health coaching credential. Even though, to be honest, I see myself as a counselor who is also a health coach, not sometimes a counselor and sometimes a health coach, if that makes sense. Uh, So I feel like the health coaching is something that I've integrated into uh, being a counselor. But I do see people who are just looking for health coaching, especially if they're outside of Texas, because, um, you know, I can't do counseling with anyone who's not in Texas, but I could do health coaching uh, with anyone or registered play therapy supervision with anyone in the world. So, uh, but if I'm going to do counseling, it has to be in someone in Texas. But, um, you know, I do that. I also uh, teach a, I'm teaching a graduate class in uh, child and adolescent therapy at the university where I taught for 20 years. And um, so I just, you know, my days are just full of wonderful things that I thoroughly enjoy doing at this point in my life. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what I love to do. Well, I'm, I'm so thankful to have you on the podcast because I think that you've given so many wonderful uh, tips and resources and information and and just talking about your book and the inf- and all the information you gave us I think is really going to be helpful for a lot of parents. So I just want to thank you so much for being on. Is there anything else that you need that you want to add before we finish up? Oh, well, I did have one other idea that we we were talking about the pandemic and how, you know, parents might use the if they if the parents use the remote control, you know, they actually could extend the whole TV metaphor and they could make kind of uh, every particular subject like into a TV show with the concept that now it's kind of like we're watching this show you know in in other words that would help kids kind of get their mind around compartmentalizing their day because you know one of the ways you use the channel changer button is okay let's we're going to put our channels on math and then whenever your brain goes off of math you have to put your channel back on math and off thinking about 
what you're going to do later in the day. So uh, it, it may be they could even add sort of kind of make all the subjects into like a little TV show. Uh, I don't know if that would work. I think that's like, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Cause I think it kind of goes back to, you know, staying focused on what you're supposed to be focused on. So kind mm-hmm. of like relating, let's say math as a, as a show that that's the subject. That's what you're supposed to be focused mm-hmm. on right now. Right. Um, because I think a lot of kids don't really understand channels anymore that much mm-hmm. because, because they don't have cable TV. Yeah. I think everyone, <laughs> you know, with the, like Netflix or Amazon, um, so it's like, oh, what channel? Like, I don't understand. Oh, that's right? true. So Thanks. yeah, but the thing is, is that we could still explain to kids like the channel. But yeah, some kids would understand that over a channel. But I think, I mean, I, I've used the, the channel um, concept just with my kids. Like one time my, my son was doing his remote learning and he was trying to talk to me, but I saw that the teacher was trying to talk to him over the computer. And I mm-hmm. said to him, and he was talking about something completely different than what she was talking about. So I said, yeah, you got to go back to like the language arts channel, you know, um, uh, yeah. because mm-hmm. you know, you're, we're not talking about the star Wars channel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so that was, I think helpful for any kids, because I mean, I think that we all get off topic. Mm-hmm. And I think especially with remote learning, it could be, it's harder to focus. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's hard to focus for sort of anybody. Sometimes we're so overwhelmed with, mm-hmm. I think even relating it as an adult, let's say I could be doing work and then all of a sudden I'll get an email or I'll get a notification right. and then I get distracted. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I'm doing something completely different than what I was starting. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, oh wait, I got to go back to what I was doing. What was I doing before? So it's it's really get distracted. Mm -hmm. I I think as you know, as adults, we get distracted because Mm -hmm. there's just so much stimulation. I think you know, just online on your computer. I think there's so much with your phone and the computer, and then sometimes I even get like notifications on my iPad. Um, So I could have like two or three notifications going up at one time, and so for kids especially, you know, it's, it is hard because mm-hmm. it's hard to focus when you're, I think when you're remote, but, um, right. I think anyways. staring at the screen is what their, their minds are not used to staring at a screen and being in school mode. You know, I, that's kind of what I observed with my grandson who's seven, you know, his history of staring at a screen, his, you know, Everything in him paired that with other things. Then suddenly he's staring at a screen and it's supposed to be like school. And so, you know, I guess that's why I thought, you know, if you could, you know, kind of have different, like, imagine that each subject was sort of like a something that you're watching on television. It could be not a channel, but a program. And they could make that a button on their remote so that, you know, it's like, okay, now we're on MathFlix, <laughs> you know, and now we're on, you know, whatever. So uh, something like that um, uh, might help them to sort of sh- connect those two things, looking at a screen and being at school. So I guess that's what I was thinking there. But you're, you're right. There's so many things uh, just at, in make it so hard for kids to focus during this, you know, during this time of the pandemic when they're out of their context of being in school. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. I loved connecting with you. And um, for anyone listening, definitely getting a copy of Hunter and his amazing remote control. I know it's something that, you know, it'll, it'll be something that I use continuously that I won't forget. Because once you get the concept, it's pretty, it's amazing. So, wow. um, which is in your, which is in your title, because it is amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much, Lori. Well, thank you so much for having me and I enjoy your podcast and I'm looking forward to the ones that you have coming up too. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language During Mealtime.